one of our pastors always, or oh, he used to say, or oh, he said once at least, that um, he hasn't really ever encountered marriage problems in his ministry. He's only ever encountered character problems in people who are married. Um, so for those of you who are, God has done such a beautiful thing in our marriage this last while. I'm actually looking forward to us spending more time on that in this year and on um, parenting as well. So keep your eyes open for those things. I'm going to continue from where I left off last week. Maybe just work through a few of the things again to bring everyone on the same on the same page. But God has been speaking to me about this since last year. I've repented a lot and uh, slowed down a lot. Um, realized that some of my lenses were wrong, and I want to correct them. And I realized they were more wrong than what I thought. And I think that um, it's going to take a while to recover. And I want to invite some of you on the journey. We're finite, we're not infinite, we're not like God in that way. He's infinite, we're not. We should learn to rest in that. But we're always, the human is always fighting against the fact that you're finite. We always want to break the boundaries and have more. Have more, just a little bit more. I just want to be a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit bigger. A little bit more significant, a little bit more money, a little bit more of everything. And you're chasing your tail and it leads us into all the, a lot of other sin as well. We're clearly made finite. We need to sleep for a third of our lives, otherwise we can't function. That should be a great wake-up call for you if you haven't realized that yet. God never sleeps. We need to sleep for a third of our life. Otherwise, we can't work. And when we work, we don't really do that great either. I mean, we're so limited. We can't live without food and water for more than a couple of days. We're useless when we sit in a business meeting and we really need to, we really need to go. Anyone's like that. Just need to go. You need to go. You can't get away from these things. We're stuck in the present. We can't time travel. Just here. Can't do anything about it. We can't jump up and fly. We can only see that far and hear that much. We can only comprehend a certain amount of stimuli at a specific time and try to make sense of it. And we, we all die. Um, everyone dies. And um, God, knowing this, he made us in his image, but he made a few distinctions between who we are and who he is. Like I said, he does not sleep or slumber. We do. My father's at his work and has always been at his work, Jesus said, and even I'm working. Many fathers try to imitate God wrongly by always being at their work. God is the one who always works. But for us, he made Sabbath to be our first day on earth. Day seven was our first day. Welcome to rest. 
and from there you shall work with me. Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man. So before we existed, there was no Sabbath because God didn't rest. But it was made for us because we're made in this way. Let us rest in this. God's gift has always come with boundaries. Always. Always. Even before the Garden of Eden, the angels had boundaries. Satan said, no, I want more. He broke the boundaries God gave. Everything that is perfect and that's beautiful has got a boundary. Our sinful nature doesn't like it. The Garden of Eden had boundaries. This river, that river, this river. The promised land had boundaries. Abram could walk it. Small little piece of land. They had boundaries. Jesus' ministry had boundaries. Very finite, indeed. And the new Jerusalem that's going to come down specific measurements. It's got boundary walls. Even in God's eternal, beautiful design, even in eternity, there's still boundaries because it's part of who God is. And He made us in that way to embrace them as part of our worship to Him, as Him being the only one that's without. But we war against it. Or are you embracing it? Are you content with it? The world is saying infinite, unlimited, everything. God from the beginning has said no to infinite, unlimited, everything. The first sin very quickly was from Satan who said, I will make myself like the most high. I will have more than what God gave me. And he fell. He was brought down to the realm of the dead. He took that same desire to be like God and tempted Eve with the same thing. Envy. Wanting to be like God. Wanting to have something that someone else has. And said, the reason God doesn't want you to eat is because then you will be like God. That's what he wanted. Never got. Now he's tricking us into the same thing. You want to be like God. And she saw that it is, it is good for food and pleasing and it's desirable to make her wise because she'll be more like God. Isn't it good to be more like God? Tower of Babel, they said, let us build ourselves a city and tower. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. And God said, no way. I'll be God. Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, Herod, Alexander the Great. All those guys who wanted to be God, who believed they were God. The one became like an animal, and the other one immediately was struck down by an angel of the Lord, and he, ate, he was eaten by worms and died, and some committed suicide, and others, others died at a young age from terrible diseases. God stops these things when mankind imitates Satan and says, I want more. 
than what God has given me. And we might say, right, okay, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not that bad, I'm not that evil. I don't want to kill all of mankind and become like God and then dethrone him. I love God and all that. But the same seed that was in Adam, Scripture says, is in us. So the same thing is still warring in us. And I found it in my life. I found it in my pursuit of my call to serve God. I found it right there. I found it as an add-on, as a hook added by Satan to the things God said. The things God said was clear, and but in my mind, I somehow thought God also said the whole world. When he said, bring those to salvation who is not. When he said, work on projects for orphan and vulnerable children. I thought God said every orphan in the world. I thought he said that all of, all of India must be saved when he gave me some work to do in India. He still hooks us with that thing. More. He is better. You should pray for six minutes, not five. Five is, six is better than five. And then when you pray six, then seven is better than six. Where is that going to end? You'll never have a good prayer life. You'll never have a good Bible reading life, quiet time life with God, because I can do more. <laughs> I'm doing okay, but I can do more. Even in that place, he's hooking us with that thing of it's never enough. In your weakness, where you are at right now with the boundaries God has given you, always saying that it's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. And where it comes from, I, th I, I believe, apart from that it's the original sin is wanting to have more than what God allocated, is that even in our Christianity, we've had these things of having to be history makers and world changers where nothing is impossible for those who believe. <laughs> to be all you can be, to become all you can be, to be someone that advances the kingdom of God over the earth. And we've been inspired by those things that none of us can ever achieve. And we'll always fall short and we'll never be good enough. I thought I'll only really be a man of God once I start praying for four hours in, every day in the morning. Then I'll be a man of God. Until then, I'm just kind of playing around. And once I get there, I'll realize that it's not enough and then I'll try to do something else. And those things gets us very excited and then we run after them and then we realize we can't do it. I'm not good enough. I should do better. I will try harder one day. I will or I just shy away altogether and just ignore the fact that I ever thought that and feel like a failure while I'm watching someone else seem like they're kind of doing it. And you're confused really because you thought that you would but now you're already 35 and what have you done? And you think, oh, thank goodness, when Angus Bucken only got saved when he, he was 40, so there's still hope for me to do something amazing. <laughs> but if we don't repent about our wanting to do something amazing, even for God, we're going to chase our um, tails and actually be guilty of the same sin that was there from the beginning. More, more, not enough. You're always better. One more.
Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, it says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the heart of man. Franz, just because you missed it, I'll read it again. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also set eternity in the heart of man. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He set eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? What is this? Isn't that why I'm feeling like I need to chase things? Isn't that my longing for more and for better? Because I know it's there and somehow God placed it in my heart. You see, the difference between eternity and infinity is that eternity has always been, it always is, and it always will be, and it's present right now. Are you with me? Infinity is never a reality. It's always the next thing that you get, and then it's not there yet. It's a chasing after wind. So the world has come, and even Christianity, in a way, popular Christianity, and it's placed in us a, a perverted desire for infinity. It's a perversion of the eternity that God placed in our hearts. The devil always twists things that God makes beautiful. Eternity is in your heart. Are you... Infinity, as you're chasing your tail. Are you chasing your tail? As you're focusing on everything and everyone around you. What you see, what, the, what, what they have, what they're busy doing. What you should be doing. What you're missing out on, what the news says. And anxiously, you try to make the most of your life. That's what infinity does. I try to make, I've got my life, YOLO nonsense. <laughs> You're all going to live for it ever after. Don't worry about this life. Give yourself as a living sacrifice. Pour yourself out as a drink offering. Be homeless for the rest of your life if that's what it takes. The John the Baptists among you. As you follow God, not as you try to earn your own righteousness. But the outcome is a chasing after wind with no eternal reward and undue suffering on earth. Anxiety that leads to a lot of stress, that leads to illness, that leads to broken relationships and death. Have you seen that happen? It's the sickness of our time, is anxiety. Everyone's anxious and stressed because we're overloaded with stuff that we feel the demands of and we just want to do it a little bit better a little bit more just a little bit more like this just a little i'm just not good enough because everyone around me looks a little bit better than i on instagram the business is doing a little bit better than ours right now while out of the 15 million startups in the world there was a hundred thousand that's actually doing better than ours so we're like 100,000 in the world. Isn't that terrible? We should do better. 
But eternity focus has you looking up, not around. You should stop looking around. It has you looking up the whole day. Connecting with eternity. It led to me in a slowing down immediately. When I started repenting of these things, I started walking slower. I started breathing slower. I drove slower. Never knew repentance would do that. Looking up, slowing down, and it'll have you shoot straight arrows. Do you know sometimes we're chasing stuff that if we just listen to God, for goodness sake. While we remain in peace, while we're suffering on this earth, looking forward to eternal glory with God. Isn't that a great place to be in? That's what God put in our hearts, and we've perverted it, and we've twisted it, into being like, wanting to be like the devil and not being satisfied with what God has allotted. Wanting more. How does this look like? How do we do this? Well, Colossians 3 verse 1 to 2 says, if, if, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. What are those things you, a lot of people would want to ask, what are those things? If you can tell me, then I'll try searching for them. Well, isn't that the mystery? Isn't that why God said it's the glory of kings to search matters out? I'm not going to tell you. Maybe I, I don't know. You, you call to go seek them. Where Christ is. What's there? <laughs> Maybe you should go seek it. Set your mind on things above. I've got a jersey like that. We were in Portugal six years ago, and there's, I realized there were no Christian bookstores in the whole of Portugal, not one. And then you can't buy Christian stuff. It's only like Roman Catholic kind of history stuff. No, like here you've got a books and this and that. It's kind of everywhere. Even though we say we've got a very secular society, it's not really, really that bad. Um, and I found in... We were in H&M for some reason, and there was this jersey that said, set your mind on things above. So I immediately bought it. It was on the sale as well. <laughs> set your mind on things above. Not on, not on cars. And you're like, yeah, of course I know that. But still you set your mind on a car. Not on clothing. <laughs> How I look. What I look like. I mean, it takes so much time out of the average Christian life just to decide what they're going to look like and what they want to look like. Not on holiday destinations. Not on income. Not on new business. On things above. And you know, you know what I found? If you set your mind on things above and forsake holiday destinations, new cars and new business, then God often often gives you new cars and new business and takes you on holidays. Do you remember the time we went to Mauritius? Have I told you about it? God said it and God paid for it. And there we went going like, God sent us. Even that Portugal trip I just told you about. God is 
really cool like that. But now you would see me going to Mauritius with the testimony of God, and then you'd think, oh, well, maybe we should go to Mauritius. How about we follow Jesus? If we look around you, we'll go crazy. We should put our phone off, news off, social media off, blah, 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 blah. Where's your time for silence, for meditation, for looking up? That's what it comes down to. What's, what's the time allocated? Where's the time allocated before your day, in your day? When are you just silencing yourself and looking up? Yeah, but I, I, my mind just goes crazy when I, when I start praying. Then I just can't focus. Yeah, because you just tried it for the first time in four weeks for three minutes. And then you couldn't focus. And now you're feeling like a victim again because you didn't hear God. If you were to do it, then and it'd be more important to you than you would find a few things above. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. <laughs> but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christians can argue so beautifully. A lot of Christians I've heard say, my faith is so righteous. I shall not work for rewards in heaven. That feels wrong to me. I will not work. God says he will reward you. Work. He will reward you for what you've done on earth. And you say, no, no, no. I don't want rewards, God. I'll just sneak in, in heaven, whatever, just to be in your presence. We argue against the word of God that says, seek treasure in heaven. But that same person just treated themselves to something nice to eat and some nice massage. And a nice new car that they can't afford, but it really blesses them. You're just you're rewarding yourself the whole time. And once again, it's a perversion of the thing that God gave. That he wants to reward you. Even on earth, with his present and with gifts and whatever. God wants to love you and bless you. But we reward ourselves and we say, no, I will not work for eternal rewards. Yet we, it's, we're storing up treasures on earth. Because my financial plan has said it. I have to at least do 10 to 20% of my income. that can be great if God led that but if everyone had to do that then a lot of people wouldn't have food to eat 99% of the world wouldn't have food to eat if they would do that uh, other Christians say no but the scripture says oh I'm offending people I know other scriptures say no but 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 a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children so if that means you have to save 10,000 rand a month so you can give money to your children's children so they don't need to work for it. If that what that scripture really means, that one isolated scripture, then it means 99% of the world can't obey the Bible. Because they're, too, because they're too poor. And scripture says, with food and clothing, with these you shall be content. And Paul, Jesus had nothing. He didn't have a house to live in. Some women supported his ministry out of their means. And Paul, the same, he was a rich man at some stage, but he was a very poor man at others and learned how to be content in all of that. So what are you working for? What are you striving for? What's enough in that space? So what it comes down to for me is 
what I use as my measure. Is my measure obedience or is it success? Is my measure, I don't care what the outcome of my obedience is, but I'll strive to hear God and obey Him. And if that has me crucified, then so be it. If that has me rich, then so be it. If that has me poor, then so be it. But as long as I know that I've heard God's voice and confirmed in whichever ways and I followed Him well, my Father in Heaven said He'll look after me. Whatever that looks like. But we set our own things up for God and say, God, you can use me within the limitations of what I call minimum acceptable success. Within that, God, you can do whatever you want. But that's my limit for, for, for you. That's the boundary you need to stick in, God. My, life, my lifestyle. I mean, you even you, you actually hear Christians speak about lifestyle choices, which freaks me out completely. Is obedience or success, whatever success is, but is it obedience or success? Success is outcome-based. Outcome like success is we need to achieve a few things and then it'll, it'll be good. It's a liar. It's a liar. Because try achieving it and see how you feel about it. See how you feel about it. Like Johnny Wilkinson achieved everything he set up for himself, became the World Cup winning fly half, the best there's ever been without a doubt, put over the drop goal to nail it. He had everything. And he went into a depression straight after that because he realized, what am I going to do with my life now? Was this it? Kicking a ball? It doesn't fulfill me. But obedience to God, whatever the outcome is, but I've obeyed Him. Because when Jesus came to earth, He didn't come like we would have. He didn't. He obeyed God. And He did a very obscure kind of a thing. Many of His Teachings even were so obscure to the people, they didn't understand. And often he didn't even try to explain himself to his disciples to some extent. He did three years around a little lake. That's what he did. You know, he worked as a, as a carpenter probably for about 15, 20 years of his life. Just worked as a, as a carpenter. He did more of that than what he did of the three years that we read about. That was God's perfect will for his son that's going to be on earth once he had him do woodwork for most of the time that's not wise god you should have maximized this, this thing we should have we should have scaled this ministry we can take this thing can be big jesus judas would have said peter would have kind of agreed Jesus said no so many times to things like this. And he also, I mean, how terrible is this to, like, don't tell anyone what I did. Terrible PR, terrible marketing. You've got the best thing ever, and now you don't want me to tell anyone. Why would you do that? That's obscure. That's obedience to God. Would we have done it like that? What if everyone wants your gift? If someone has a gift in the ch church, even a real Powerful gift in the church. What do we do with it? We blow it up like never before. We make it look like it's, like it's double the size it really is. 
right? Because sometimes when that guy prays for people, they get healed. So now there's thousands of people, and it's global, and it's like the prophet healer with bodyguards and everything. And in, he, chose, he chose terrible disciples, to be honest. That was a bad idea, too. His marketing was bad. His, his PR was bad. His people was bad. I mean, Jim Collins says, if you want to do business the right way, you need to get the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus. Like, that's rule number one. He got the wrong people on the bus. <laughs> they were really a terrible group. I can't believe the Roman Catholic Church have, have, have these like statues up of these guys everywhere that look like the most holy men that has ever lived. There were a bunch of boys that were messing up big time, fighting about who will be the greatest just after they had communion for the first time and Jesus said, I'm going to die now. They were fighting about who's going to be the greatest. Oh, my word. Did you know that the Roman Catholic Church actually changed the Ten Commandments to not have the part in that says you shall not make any carved image on anything on the earth or below the earth. They changed that because they really like all their carved images in their churches. You can go and Google and see it's not in their Ten Commandments. Even. Side note. He was born in a manger. We've got to have a romantic idea of a manger, don't we? Afrikaans people have a very romantic idea of a manger because we don't know what it is. <laughs> we just know that in English they say that's the thing that Jesus was, he was born in. So it must be beautiful and there must be lights and little around, what do you call those, all those balikis that they hang on to it. There was a tree with mistletoe and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was lived in a... Manger. I know I'm over-exaggerating a little bit, but I mean, born in a manger, he said he had no place to lay his head. He didn't own property. He was homeless. And he died on a cross. It was the worst punishment for the worst, ter most terrible sinner that there is. I mean, church, the wrong place, the wrong time, wrong people, wrong, wrong PR strategy. And I mean, for three years only, So, I mean, what, what, what about you? How does this relate to you? What would you do if you had all power? What would you do if you had all influence? What would you do if you could do miracles? What would you do if you could teach like this? I mean, he could just think up any business idea and it'll flourish. What would you do if you could have done that? Most Christians would just be doing it. Whatever God has given, let me just make the most of it. And if everyone in the whole world wants my ministry, wants my gift, wants my business, Jesus didn't give it. He gave it when and where the Father led. That was it. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to stay within that boundary? I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, Christian entrepreneurs, and it's like they don't want to set up any end. In mind, there's no end in mind. Well, the end is a is a like is your 
glorious exit. We make 550 million. That's that's. But then you want to do the next thing. There's no end in mind. What if God wants your business? What if God gave you that vision? But that's for a small company. But no Christian entrepreneur wants a small company because our God is great. And if everybody wants it, then wow, it's a blessing of God, isn't it? What about we hear God? We walk with God. We stay within the limits of of our bodies, first of all, and don't rebel against it. And second, within the ones that he sets up. As he's always been. So, what about that scripture? <laughs> when you do specific sermons on specific things, you, there's, um, there's always scriptures that people would challenge you with and say, but there is that one scripture that says. So, just a heads up, on my sermon next week uh, at Homey Sunday, it's about work. And on my arguments there, a lot of people would say, but there is that one scripture that says, if you shall not work and you shall not eat. So... Go read the context of the scripture that you're bringing to an argument to see what, it, what it's actually saying. Just a heads up. That scripture does not mean you shall work for your bread. It means you shall not abuse the local church and think you can abuse God by avoiding to work and thinking that people must pay for your, your sustenance. You can't reject what God gives work and say, but you must provide because you say you will. That's abusing God and then his church. That's what that means. So when you, I forgot to say it in the video, so I thought of saying it now. Yeah, so you know. But what about that scripture that said all things are possible with God? Like Apostle Paul said it. He, didn't he say all, all, all things like starry skies? All things. Can you see the cover of the book that they're selling in Kum Books? All things are possible to you. <laughs> Just believe. Do you believe? Yes, I believe. I shall have many cars and companies. Oh no, I'm righteous. I shall have millions of people come to salvation for God. Even that thing. Be very careful for that thing. Follow Jesus. But that scripture, just to say, there's context to that. Paul is in jail, and Paul is saying, I've learned to be content in riches and in poverty. He's saying, I've learned the secret of how to be content in all situations. Why did he find himself in those situations? He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes he was very poor and shipwrecked, and he was, he was beaten. And other times, apparently, he went well in terms of he had a lot of money and da, 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 da. I think he used to be rich in his previous life and I think the money ran out. <laughs> um, he had to make things at some stage. But in, in that context, in the context of following God who leads me into very, very difficult things, he says, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The context says, you who follow Christ, it seems impossible to love. It seems impossible to endure. It seems impossible to be Christ-like. You can do all things. That's what the context of the scripture is about. We can't just throw that out on a, on, a, on a book cover and not read the rest of it and think we can do 
ask God to help in our boat and do all things. And when we would stay in the finite and focus on eternity, this is proper worship unto God. Because He is infinite and you're not. And if you stop fighting with those boundaries and worship the one who is infinite and eternal and celebrate what you have, even your weakness, that God says, Paul, I'll not deliver you from specific things to have you stay finite and know that my grace is enough. It's worship to God to enjoy the fact that you're infinite and to ask God for the boundaries that he has given you in the things that he called you to. More is not better unless God said so. It's worship unto God. We want to worship God. Your anxious toiling is not worshiping God. Even if it's for the salvation of souls. It's not worshiping God. Secondly, it keeps you flourishing because we're made in this way. We're made to rest. We're made to stay in Sabbath. Many people say, oh, I couldn't do Sabbath because I had a lot of work this week. Well, that's fantastic. So that means you're going to wait until that, until that stops. What happens if you're super successful and doing really well and everybody wants you? Then you're never going to have Sabbath. Isn't that a great plan? But if we would honor the fact that we find out and stay within the boundaries, you set up and ask him for the boundaries. What's my sea of Galilee, God? And are you okay with your sea of Galilee? Are you fine with not changing the world before you die? I was not fine with that for very long. I resisted that thought. Are you okay with it? But it, it keeps you flourishing. And in, in the end of the day, <laughs> it delivers the best output anyway. Because you were clear on what God said. You could obey Him. And whether that then is big or small or obscure or whatever, it would render the best output anyway. While you're flourishing and worshiping God. Isn't that great? Yet we keep on chasing our um, tales all time. So, last slide. A lot of stuff. Did I miss a scripture somewhere? I I I did. Yes. Thank you. It was just after the part of what about big things for God. There are big things. There are big things, but because we chase infinite things, we don't see the big things. How about this? And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. You, do you know Paul did that? Actually happened. Um, he was a bit and nothing happened and that opened the door. And when they drink deadly 
poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. It does not say everyone every, every time. It doesn't say that. But it says these are the signs you'll see. Within the, among the people of God, the, you'll see these things. And then the question is, do, are, are you seeing these things? Have you seen them in your life? Have you seen them in your life? Have they been in your life? And if not, you need to ask yourself a very simple question. Do you believe? Not in signs, in Jesus. Do you really believe in the gospel? And not to say yes because the word gospel is, when I hear it, I must say yes. Do you know what it means? Do you know you're a wretched sinner saved by grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit? To follow him. They will follow those who believe. Do you believe these signs will follow? Have they? In the same way, are you his sheep? Then you'll hear his voice. Do you? If you don't, maybe go back to step one. So now I also said that part out of place, but you got it, nevertheless. Practically staying finite. What has helped me and what I think you should make notes of. Believe and follow Jesus really. Like a lot of people just, a lot of people cop out just come by, I'm not hearing God. Yeah, because you decide what you want. You're not going to hear God if you already decided what you want. And you, know, you want to also want to hear God. Maybe he's got something else to say. Or he's got something to add. He, like, are you still willing to crucify your life and lay it down? Just hate it for the sake of, the, of, of God. Are you, are you still willing for God to change your life upside down? Are you going to have it the way it is? But, you know, God can do a few things if he wants, but. I will have this, I will have this, I will have this. If you're single in here, you don't even have the right to go to God and say, I, shall be, I will get married. You don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right to anything. It's a godly desire. I want to, get, I want, I want to be married. And how can I say anything because I am? Well, Paul was not, and he spoke to people who are, so I can also speak to people who aren't. But on that thing, let me not go there. But you don't have the right. Before you don't put that thing on the altar, you're only going to receive an idol when you receive anything. Okay. Really follow wholeheartedly. Leave your net and go. Repent of the dreams you made up. So many, even after last week's service, people came to me and said, so I have a dream, and so it must be God. So I have passion for something, it must be God. Every Christian has got passion, everyone in the world has got passion for something. Now it's God. Where in Scripture does it say, if you have a burning desire in your heart for something, it is God? No, it says your heart is wicked, deceitful, above all things, don't follow it. You say, oh, but God had to. God speaks. He doesn't put desires and then it just ease, it just ease God. 
the things he would say, he would also give you the desire for, for sure. Or you'd have the desire that he would speak on later. You can't make up dreams. You need to bring those dreams before God. And then you can't do what I did and add to what God has said. Like Saul obeyed God and he thought it would do a little bit better. And then God said, you shall, no more, you shall be king no more. Because you added to what I said. I obeyed you, God. Mm-hmm. Yes, but not really. Because you added to what I said. God said, get involved in an NGO for orphan and vulnerable children. I thought, let's save every orphan on the face of the, world, of the planet. No, Saul. Repent of more is better mindset that always keeps you thinking that you're not making it, you're not good enough, blah, 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 blah. And the problem with thinking you're not making it and not good enough is that if you are, if you are actually fighting the fact that you're not making it and not good enough, you can't land within the grace of God, as we've said earlier, in the first place. So it shouldn't be an issue to start with. You should accept the fact that you are wretched and useless and therefore run to God. And if you sit in sackcloth and ashes because you're wretched and useless, it'll take more than five minutes, I promise you. And you'll have a wonderful experience of the love and the grace of God. Repent of more is better. Repent of wanting to be rich and successful. Just be honest with yourself about that. Do you want to be rich and successful? Do you, would you like to be rich or would you like to be poor? Because the scripture says whoever wants to be rich will fall into ruin and, and destruction. But most, most people I know want to, to be rich somehow. They would think it's awesome if they could be rich. And it's, it's, it's so dangerous, guys, because then a little bit more is always a little bit, a little bit better. But the blessing of God might sometimes be that it must be a little bit less now. Because that's better. Repent of wanting a significant life. Like I had to. Repent of comparison and envy. I want to be like others. I see what they have. I don't have it. I'm already 35. Look at the other guys have the door 35. Um, and what really helped me is to, uh, like I said, run slower. It's, it's been a while now that I'm intentionally often running slower. When you go for a jog, just run slower. It'll break you at first if you're like me, and you're not, and you're not going for it. Yesterday I was at the gym because I have checkers 60, 60 vouchers. I'm not a member, but if you... in January, if you had four 60-60s, you got a free Virgin Active voucher. So <laughs> I could go to the gym. I love the sauna a lot. Um, yeah, I sweat all, all my sauna. Out. But then I would usually run until, at, in primary school, I would run until I vomit. Always. Always. I would run that race until I would vomit. That was what I did. And even now, when I would be on that treadmill, I would say, I'm going to run this pace, second kilometer this pace, third kilometer, I'm going to see what this machine can do. <laughs> and yes, yesterday, I went, I said, on the third K, where I would usually, right towards the end, like the last two minutes, I would go, Whoa. I went, Whoa. 
it sounds stupid. It's incredibly powerful if we can start to go slower intentionally because we're not trying to achieve just a little bit more and press the boundaries every time and everything that we do. Run slower, drive slower. I always stick, if it's 80, I'm on 85, cruise control. Because I'm not in the wrong, because I will not get a fine, but I will not do 78 if I could do 85. I repented of that. I'm repenting of that. Eat slower. It's unhealthy to eat that, eat, eat that fast and anxiously. Sabbath really hard, especially if you've got a lot of work. That's faith. God can do it better than you. And sleep for eight hours. And don't say that you can't. Sometimes there are seasons where it's really difficult. But you can. I believe our desire for infinity is driving us to insanity. And God gave us eternity that we shouldn't pervert for that. Where we should be looking up and not all around us. Chasing stuff rather than seeking righteousness and peace and joy in God that he has for us. And that all of our never enoughs, more is better, I will try harder. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus said, it is finished. So you can stop now and abide in me, rest in me. Worship team, if you can maybe come to the front, I think it would be great if we could respond to this. So I just wanted to take a moment with the Holy Spirit right now, and maybe it's already there, but um, just maybe close your eyes. Just close your eyes. I don't want you to miss a moment that in which God wanted to do something. And um, just take some time and just think, is there, is, there re- is there something you believe God told you this morning? Is there something God wants to shift in you this morning? Is there truth you want to receive that you've heard this morning? Is there a need for the gospel? Have its way in you this morning. And then, like, don't look at anyone. We're not going to look at anything. But, like, just, if you have something, just raise your hand. It's a sign of faith to say, I'm actually looking at God. I'm actually searching for something. And I'm actually going to say, yes, I've got something. Say, I've got something. So you can hold on to that thing right now. Father, I pray that you would teach us the beauty of repentance. When we bring our hearts before you as wretched people that you love so much and whom you want to set free. 
I thank you that you have made everything beautiful in its time and that you've placed eternity in our hearts. And I want to pray a protection over the eternity that you have set in our hearts. And corporately, Father, we want to repent where we have perverted what you've placed in our hearts for a longing for infinity, for more that is better, always a chasing after wind. We want to repent for that. And I pray that you would restore, redeem what you meant when you placed eternity in our hearts. I pray for eyes that will look up and see their maker. I pray for hearts that will slow down. That will walk slower, run slower, drive slower, smile more, eat slower, sleep more and a Sabbath more and enjoy work more and thank you Father for wisdom in all of that I thank you for your supernatural enablement where it needs to be I pray against anxious toiling Father that takes hold of us but I pray that you would go straight down into the depths of our hearts and take out the deep rooted motivation that leads us always having too much to do I pray that you would show us that remove those hooks that the enemy has woven into our hearts I pray for that Lord I pray that you would give us grace to be able to to understand what you require from each one of us as we respond to this word I pray that you would show us boundaries. I believe God wants to show some of you clear boundaries and some things you are working with. Whether that's where you would go in the specific company or where you'd go with your business or where you'd go in ministry or what you would do. or Just believe God wants to show you boundaries. And you're going to want to resist them. You're going to be saying, but, but God, what if you really actually wanted to do more and now I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to cap what you wanted to do? That's... Just that way of thinking means God can do more if you do a little bit better. I mean, you say, omnipotent God, He can do anything without you. I pray, God, that you would give us those boundaries in our hearts. Show us boundaries, Lord. Let us 